Good morning, Forsu. Good morning. Catherine, thank you for your prayer. I, uh, I noticed you prayed for us, uh, but you didn't pray for yourself, which I understand would feel kind of awkward. Can I, can I just pray for you? Catherine, thank you. Uh, Catherine broke her foot uh, recently and is recovering from, from that. So can I just pray over Catherine and her family right now? Thank you, Father, for, for Catherine and Mark and what they mean to us as a community. And we just pray for quick and recovery healing of, uh, of Catherine's foot. And uh, for them as a family, as they try to carry on life, may they be united in caring and, and for one another during this time and for, for the kids and for Mark as they care for Catherine. Uh, just be with them and bless them as a family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, my name is Paul. I'm, uh, if you don't know me, I'm one of the staff here at the church at Forsu. I'm uh, position is called Director of Outreach. And as a Director of Outreach, I uh, primarily look after our ministry center, which uh, is costing so much money, so thank you for your <laughs> contributions to it. But those numbers are going down this year, thanks to so many wonderful church partners, as, uh, as Brian mentioned. Um, we love what's going on at Nextdoor. Um, we, we had Brett Allman speak to us on Thursday night. He came and gave a talk on mental health, very honest experience that he shared of his own struggles with anxiety and how we can practically care for ourselves and care for others struggling with mental health. We are excited about some other things going on at Nextdoor. We have these Saturday night worship times that are uh, a time of worship, a, uh, a time of potluck, and, um, and then we hang out together and we do sort of a, uh, like a coffee house feel and we have local musicians come down and and share music and stories and karaoke even apparently last month I wasn't there for it um, but it's a great time and that's happening this Saturday you'd be welcome to come down and partake and be a part of any of the things going on we're excited about this kitchen skills training program last uh, last fall Craig Kowalczyk who owns Emma's Back Porch and Water Street Cooker walked into next door actually into Rolling Horse he was coming into the bike shop but he wandered into the kitchen and he looked at this place and he said this place is great we can do something here. His objective was to train people uh, to work in the kitchen industry so that they could uh, potentially be trained for employment in his restaurant. Our desire is to equip people with kitchen skills, with any kind of job skills, life skills that would help them advance in life. And so we have 10 people registered for this course starting in April. Six of them are new refugee women uh, who've come to Canada in the last couple of years. So we're really pleased about how God's working. And if you've never been to a next door breakfast, you got to come. First Saturday, fourth Saturday of the month, it's our youth serving. Come down, support your youth, support the community, support what's going on at next door, and just participate and be a part of it. You are more than welcome anytime. So I saw my first Star Wars film in 1977 at the age of 10, which would uh, save you the math. That would make me 52, wouldn't it? And I actually remember it quite well. I was uh, with my uncle and my cousin. We had popcorn. We sat. I almost remember where we sat, like third of the way down, not too close to the front, second seat in. I don't know why I remember these details. It was at the Skyway Theaters, which some of you may not have ever known. There were theaters down at the Skyway Plaza in south, uh, southeast Burlington. And so that was my first adventure. That was my first experience with Star Wars, but it was also my last. I am not a science fiction fan. I am not a Star Wars fan. Don't invite me to a convention or a viewing party. I will not be any fun. But as much as I don't enjoy science fiction movies, I have really enjoyed 
going through Colossians and understanding this cosmic Christ that we've been introduced to. Against the backdrop of the Roman Empire where Caesar is Lord and where the Pax Romana and the peace of Rome is considered good news, we have had Paul reminding us that the Lord he is calling us to revere is not just another human, but rather a remarkable cosmic figure. Christ is creator and Lord of the cosmos, it says, for in him, in chapter 1, all things in heaven and earth were created, and in him all things hold together. I think this sounds like a good science fiction film, except that it's real. And as we move into chapter 3, we read that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, where we are to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. However, if our new life is hidden in the heavenlies with Christ in God, we won't know the fullness of this until Christ returns again, until he appears in our midst. And so in the meantime, we fix our hearts and minds on things above. We live in this period of suspense, waiting for this future reality and trying to live as a Christian community in the context of that. I think that could make a good film. I think that could be something that I would go see. And so here we are as a community. Um, in Colossians, we're going to read, and that was my introduction, by the way, of the first four verses of chapter 3. We're going to now pick up from, from verse 5, and we're going to answer this question. This is a question I think that Paul is, is seeking to address for the community of Colossians and for us as a church. What is the character of a community? A community that's dwelling in this space in between, now and the, and the yet to come. Under this oppressive regime, whether it be the Roman Empire or the oppressive regime that we live under of consumerism and greed and individualism, what is it like that we are to be as a community that is shaped by the narrative of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to God's right hand? And so Paul begins by helping us understand this by going through a list of vices. He says... Put together, therefore, put, together, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Sorry. So I guess we're talking about sex this morning, aren't we? <laughs> If you want to leave now, I'm sure Wendy needs some more help upstairs if you want to quietly slip out. But we're talking about sex. But we're not only talking about sex. We're talking about something else. Looking at this list, Walsh and Keysmat, who write the book Colossians Remixed, a book that is a commentary on, on Colossians that has inspired this series, they ask this question. Why end a list of sexual sins with an economic sin? Why end this list with greed, which is idolatry? And as they suggest, the answer is because sexual sin is at its root selfish and covetous and has the consumption of the other person as its ultimate desire. So sexual sin is not sin because it's sexual. Sexual sin is sin because it's greed. If you are wondering why Christians are so hung up about sex, it's this. It's this. It's not about something you take from the other person for your own pleasure. It's something you give for mutual pleasure in the context of a covenant relationship. 
if sexual sin is at its root greed, as a community living under the rule of Christ, we will only experience Christian community when we respect one another. As human beings, as men and women, and not the other as the object of our personal desires. Mutual respect for another is the beginning of healthy relationships, where we don't see the other person as an object to be consumed, but as a sister or brother to be served in love. Holding one another in a place of honor and respect is an antidote to the poison of coveting one another for our own satisfaction. Isn't this fun? Talking about sex here on a Sunday morning. But yet we know that Christian communities can be torn apart and broken and ripped apart by sexual sin. We know that there are stories of megachurches with pastors who have too much power and they use that to pursue things that aren't theirs, that don't belong to them. And we know that it happens in small churches all around us. And we know, we know that we are vulnerable because we are human beings and that this could even happen to us. And Paul understands that and that's why he writes about it. And that's why he warns us that if we want to be a Christian community, we need to flee these things. We need to put them off. We need to be careful. So if one antidote to this is respect, that we simply respect one another, we don't view each other as items or things to be consumed the other thing that we need to learn is enough. One of the gods we contend with is the god of consumption. And there's no, more, and there's no word more offensive to a culture of consumption than the word enough. The advertisers and marketers want us to believe that we can never have enough, that we can never be satisfied, that we can never be filled. But the word for us is enough. And here I don't just mean like enough is enough or I've had enough, but in marriage, we must return to our covenantal vows and say to our spouse, to our partner, you are enough for me. I do not need to look other places. I do not need to find satisfaction in someone else because you are enough for me. And for single people, and we have many wonderful single people in our congregation. In the friendships and community we all share, you need to discover that intimacy that you find in this community is enough. Now, there's a word for us all here, single and married, that if single people among us are going to find intimacy and community, we need to be a community to single people. We need to be a community that's welcoming to single people. We need to extend hospitality and friendship and make sure that they are included in the life of this community. Married couples are called to fidelity, and single people are called to chastity. And frankly, neither is easy. I was single. I was in the church until I was 29 years old, so I understand the hard road of chastity and how tough it can be. And I've been married for the last 20 years, and if any one of us are honest for just a minute, we'll admit that there are times when the grass can seem greener on the other side of the fence. I can remember as a, as a young teenager being at my aunt and uncle's house, and they had some friends from England. His name was Graham. He was like a star in my mind because he used to drive bus for these big rock bands in Britain. It was like, that was Graham, the guy who drove the Rolling Stones. So him and his wife would come for a visit to my aunt and uncle's and our family would go, out, go over and we'd 
hang out with him for a little bit. And I remember the wife, I don't remember her name, but I remember her openly talking about how Graham, once upon a time, thought that the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. And she spoke very openly about this, almost a little bit lightly about it. But you know that underneath all that, there was a lot of pain and hardship and a lot of work that had to be done for them to be back together. So fidelity is a hard thing. It's a hard road. And sometimes we wonder if things are better on the other side of the fence. Now, if what I've just said leads to conversations on the way home, like grass is greener on the other side of the fence, we all think that sometimes. The focus of the conversation should not be who, but you. Not who, but you are enough for me. You are my love. You are the one who I commit myself to every day, every morning, and recommit myself to you day in and day out. Back to the idea of chastity. Lauren Winner says something wonderful about this, and I'm going to read it to you. Now, she writes it in the negative, but I want to read it in the positive. Lauren Winner says, with the support of a church community, which supports singles in their discipline of chastity, and which offers grace to those who fail, chastity becomes far more possible. And Re Rebecca Uckland, who is a, a theologian uh, in the States, says that the gift that single people give the church is the message that while culture says you can have sex without intimacy, those committed to chastity can experience intimacy without sex. But to understand that and to really appreciate what Eklund is saying, we need to understand sexuality in its broadest terms. How can you experience intimacy without sex? Well, Catholic priest and writer Richard Rollheiser says that sexuality is about giving oneself over to community, friendship, family, service, creativity, humor, delight, and martyrdom, so that with God we can help bring life into the world. Imagine that. What a beautiful picture of sexuality that says even outside of genital sex that you can experience through community, through friendship, through nature, through things of beauty, you can experience intimacy and you can experience this idea of bringing life into the world. We understand that marriage is about relationship, it's about intimacy, it's about procreation. But even outside of that, this happens. You can experience these things um, in this bigger understanding of sexuality. There are times when we will all need to redirect sexual energy in healthy ways. Sexual energy doesn't have to mean genital sex. Our sexual energy can be expressed through friendship, acts of service, art, nature, hikes. Yet there are times when we all, single or married, will need to remember that among us are those who are single and because of their singleness may lack what we all need, physical affection and touch. Elizabeth and I were at the library uh, just this past week and while we were there, she ran into a friend, a friend who had lost her husband about three months ago. And as they were talking, they were talking across this magazine rack, and Elizabeth realized that she needed to walk around the magazine rack and come up to Susan and give her a hug. And so she did. And in response, Susan hugged her back and didn't let go. And as Elizabeth was sharing the story with me afterward, in hindsight, she was asking, 
Who else was going to hug Susan that day? Her husband was gone. Her adult children had moved away. Possibly someone, but possibly no one. Possibly no one. She was going to be void of that thing that we all need, this physical affection and touch. By respecting one another and finding enough in our spouse and in our community, we till the soil for healthy cross-gender friendships. Yes, there are risks. And yes, we need appropriate boundaries. But friendships, women to women, men to men, both married and single, men to men and women to men, both married and single, is a picture of the body of Christ and brings the possibility of true Christian community. Paul goes on with his list of vices in verses 8 and 9, and he says that, uh, um, and, he, and he moves on to this list where he talks about anger and rage and malice and slander and obscene language. And if the previous list of sexual sins felt like it was all about, uh, you know, our own satisfaction, our own desire, this is not too different. When we act out in anger, when we are um, taking a strip off someone, when we are rage or slandering, we are doing this for our own sake. We are taking advantage of the other person and making ourselves feel good. We are bringing down the other to elevate ourselves, to make ourselves feel okay. And that is hurtful for community. That doesn't help us with our desired end of creating Christian community. Um, James, James writes a letter. James, one of the apostles of Jesus, writes a short little letter at the e- near the end of the New Testament. And in it, he has a lot of wisdom. And he talks about the tongue. And he talks about the tongue as being the small part of the body that can cause a lot of damage. Using two illustrations, one being the rudder of a boat, how a small rudder can turn a big boat, and how a spark can cause a big force fire. Little thing that can cause a lot of damage. I don't have a lot of experience with... Um, uh, with boats, I don't have a lot of experience with force fires, but have you guys been enjoying these? Um, this is maybe a, a bit of a setup question because how can you say no? But these staff profiles have been pushed out on social media recently that Chantel has done, you know, kind of the bio, the picture, and the QA. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've been reading those and seeing them? Okay. So mine came out a couple of weeks ago. There's a picture, a bunch of questions that I answered, and the last question for each one is tell us something. Uh, other people don't know about you. And so one of the sort of the things that I said was, well, once upon a time, I once almost burned down a cabin in the mountains at the base of Mount Assiniboine. And I said, but I don't have time. There's no room on the page to tell you that story. So here's the story. I spent two days um, in my early 20s deciding that I was going to take a guided trip and hike Mount Assiniboine. So why was I going to hike Mount Assiniboine? Well, I was 20, I was single, and I had lots of energy to burn in a positive way. And so I was decided, I was on this guided hike. We went in, we got to this cabin, we spent some time on the snowpack. I was learning how to use crampons and pickaxes and lead ropes and guides. And then we had supper and then we went to bed. There's three of us as a group, but there's about 12 or 15 people in this cabin with all these bunk beds because all of us were going to get up early the next morning and hike that mountain. People call that the Matterhorn of the Canadian Rockies. It's this beautiful mountain. There we were in this beautiful cabin at the base of it. Everyone was in bed except Paul. Paul was getting up every hour because suddenly I was hit with not anxiety, but just bad stomach cramps. 
getting off my top bunk, waking everybody up, getting myself out of the cabin, out to the thunderbox, as they call it, back into the cabin, crawling back into bed, only to do it over again every hour, probably keeping everybody awake. 4.30 comes, everybody, lights turn on, we're going to get going up the mountain before the crack of dawn. I'm out for about an hour, and I have to turn back because I'm just, I'm not going to make it. So I turn back, get back to the cabin, decide that I need a cup of tea because I'm a little bit dehydrated, and uh, find the stove. It's not my stove. I'd never used it before, but I've seen it being used, and I figured I could make it work. It's got like the gas canister with a pump and, and the lead hose that takes you to the burner. So I set it all up on this table underneath the window with these curtains hanging down, light the stove, poof, here's the curtains. about this close and I'm kind of panicked and I pick it up and I'm carrying this thing and it's burning and I get it out onto the rock, go back in, get it turned off, <laughs> finally, go back in, check, nothing's on fire. But I was this close. One little mistake putting that whole cabin up on fire. Can you imagine those 12 people looking down and seeing this cabin on fire? All their possessions, their backpacks, and their thousands of dollars of expensive mountaineering clothing going up in flames, and that guy that they left behind. But that's what it is. That's what James is saying. One little thing can cause so much damage. We need to be careful with our tongues. Paul is warning us and how we treat each other and how we speak to one another because it can cause so much damage. Verses 12 to 14, Paul now gets away from the vices, and he starts talking about the virtues. He says, um, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Having spoken about vices, Paul is now turning and saying, this is what you should look like as a Christian community. And while there is value in attending to each of these, and we will quickly, I think there's some value in just looking at this list and just understanding it as a whole. Just look at those words and say to yourself and imagine, this is what Christian community looks like. We are compassionate because God is compassionate. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount um, about meekness. Show meekness um, as I am, as, as, actually I forget how you word that now. There's something about meekness, but we are, to be, we are to be compassionate and kind in the way that he is. Um, in the face of a world driven by, by profit and self-promotion and climbing over, over each other, we create a community of kindness. We are humble. In a world that trumpets accomplishments, we remind ourselves that everything that we have and everything that we've accomplished is by the grace of God. And in a world of immediate gratification, we patiently anticipate a kingdom that is to come when all will be made right. As Walsh, as Walsh and Kiesmatt say, we are in it for the long haul. And we don't want to be naive. We don't want to romanticize Christian community. We know that we will fail. We know that we will hurt each other. And three times in one sentence, Paul uses the word forgive because we will need to be 
we will need to forgive one another. We will need to receive forgiveness just as Christ forgave us. In Colossians 1.3, it says that he rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the beloved kingdom, into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been forgiven. We've been rescued. And then love. Love, which binds it all together in perfect unity. And we're going to leave... Uh, the words of love in the hands of Wendell Berry, who says that, I believe that the world was created and approved by love, that it subsists, coheres, and endures by love, and that insofar as it is redeemable, it can be redeemed only by love. I believe that divine love, incarnate and indwelling in the world, summons the world always towards wholeness, which ultimately is reconciliation and atonement with God. Look at that quote and look at that middle sentence for a moment. Divine love incarnate and indwelling in the world. That is us. We can incarnate the divine love of Christ in our relationships with one another. I was reminded of how Christian community can incarnate love uh, for one another by Brett Allman that I mentioned last week. He came and gave us a talk. Brett Allman as I, was very honest in his experience with anxiety where he spent, I believe he said, seven months in his house. He couldn't leave. He was so struck with anxiety um, that he was housebound for that period of time. And he told wonderful stories of people who would come to him and attend to him and spend time with him. And one story that seemed to be memorable for him was the wife of one of his board members, knowing that he loved Mediterranean food, showed up with chicken shawarma one day. Obviously very memorable for him. But he also told the story of a friend, a good friend, who over that seven-month period never called him, never came to see him, no contact. And very graciously, Brett, after those seven months, said to him, what happened? Where were you? And the guy's response was, Brett, you were working so hard. 300 days a year, you were, you were speaking and traveling, you were doing your master's thesis, you burned out, and you, and this is what happened to you, and I saw myself in you. I work harder than you. I work more hours than you. And I'm scared that I'm going to become like you. Tragic, this guy's experience, but also tragic that so consumed by his own stuff that he couldn't in that moment reach out to his friend who is suffering like that. We want to be in a place where we can extend love in this way. We want to be self-sacrificial in our love and be in a place where we're healthy enough that we're able to do that. Christian community reflects the love of God and is not concerned with ourselves. Bud Osborne was an activist and a poet in Vancouver, Lower East Side, and he writes this poem about Maximilian Kolbe. Maximilian, I'm probably saying that wrong. Maximilian Kolbe was a Franciscan friar uh, who was in Auschwitz and who willingly gave up his life uh, for another person, a person he didn't know, a stranger to him, uh, Maximilian went to the gas chambers instead of this other person. And um, Osborne was so struck by this, and he saw in this act of self-sacrificial love the ability to build community. And so he writes this poem. He says, Colby, who created community even in Auschwitz. Colby, who lived community while naked and starving to death. Colby, 
who demonstrated that community cannot be destroyed. Though buildings are demolished, though people are scattered and lives are shattered. Colby, who taught that community cannot be extinguished as long as a single human being steps forward, out of line, and speaks out for the sake of another's life. Colby. Paul goes on later to write in, uh, in chapter 3 about, self about this form of self-sacrificial love demonstrated by Colby and how it transforms even our most intimate relationships. He says, Wives submit to husbands so that husbands put the needs of their wives ahead of their own in the form of submissive love. Paul describes this form of submission in a parallel passage in the book of Ephesians, and he begins it with saying, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he uses this idea of wives submitting to your husbands as an example of what submission looks like. It's like he's saying, submit to one another, and if you want to know how to do that, look at our patriarchal culture. Look how wives are submissive to husbands, and this is how you are to submit to one another. And husbands, this is where the command is. Husbands, love your wives in that same self-sacrificial way that Christ loved you and Christ loved the church. And the command for husbands to love, not dominate their wives, was culturally subversive for the Colossians. And perhaps... In a, in a time where it's very easy for husbands and wives to attend to their own needs first, this command to mutual submission and for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church is equally radical for us now. As we close, I want to go back to verse 11. This is a verse that Catherine actually prayed uh, over uh, together and I want to use it to lead us into communion. In this verse, Paul talks about uh, the, the, the Christian community is one where there is no Jew nor Greek, where there is no um, circumcised or uncircumcised, where there is no Greek or barbarian. In the Jewish world, it was Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised. In the world of the Greeks, it was Greek or barbarian, or even worth the Scythian, because they were the worst of the barbarians. But Paul says none of this. None of this. In his vision for Christian community, there's no room for superiority. We recognize and enjoy our diversity among us as a community, that we're, but understand that we are all equal under Christ and come together under Christ. The idea that diversity unites us, I think that idea is multiculturalism in its colloquial form, but it's not the greater vision that we have where we come together with our shared need for brokenness, with our, with our shared need of brokenness and our need for mercy and grace from Christ. This is what unites us together. And so the experience we are going to have is of taking this bread and taking this juice, representing the body and blood of Christ, and we're going to pass it to each other. And we're going to share in this experience of need for mercy and grace as we do so. So the way we're going to do that is I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and I'm going to invite the band to come up and then as we've been doing for the last number of weeks, um, you're going to take the bread, you're going to take the juice, you're going to hold on to it and then I'll come up and I'll lead us in prayer and I'll just lead us through the taking of this together. So ushers, band, and I'll be right back. <laughs>